0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bleep Bulimia podcast. I'm Lorianne. I'm the host. And today I'm very pleased to have our guest here, Sandia Ramatar. And she is an art psychotherapist and model maker. And we're going to be exploring how this can help our listeners who are struggling with bulimia. Thanks so much for being here today.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: So I'll ask the first question. What got you in to becoming art psychotherapist?
1: That's a really good question. Um, one of the main reasons um, why I went into art psychotherapy and particularly art psychotherapy is because I'm I'm a model maker by trade. But about six, maybe seven years ago, my father passed away, and I was really close to him. We had a very, very tight connection. And when he passed away, it kind of shattered our family unit because. He's the patriarch. was the patriarch of our family. So um, there was a lot of grief, as you can understand. And um, one of the ways how I kind of dealt with my grief was to paint, draw, but um, make models. So that kind of got me through the healing process. And um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go into um, the art psychotherapy route, because I wanted to really help people. were hurting like how I was hurting and the only salvation that I kind of got was um through my um, art making process because it is a process it's not so much I mean it's not so much the end product that you have at the end like when you make something it's the process which you kind of go through and it was that process that I was so intrigued with you know and it helped me to get in contact and get in touch with my emotions with my deep-seated emotions of grief because I hadn't because um I I finished university last year and I hadn't talked about my father's death for about three years I kept that all bottled up inside of me and um I remember at uni um about two years ago at uni we had a presentation and I was presenting my work and had made this little model of my dad and in front of 42 strangers, we had to do a presentation and I just burst out crying. And afterwards I told the lecturer that this was the first time that I'd spoken about my father. It's the first time I spoke about my grief and I didn't know how it was going to come. It just came and the tears kept flooding. After that, all my cohort, they got around me, they hugged me and everything else. But that was the first time that I realized that therapy really, really was a healing factor in my life. So yes, very important for me.
0: That's absolutely wonderful. We were speaking earlier, you were saying that when your clients come to you, there is that surface. And then tell us about, you know, with the art therapy, psychotherapy, where it takes you beyond that.
1: Right, okay. So um, when a client will come to me, um, with therapy, um, it starts with a face, um, face-to-face. face So it starts off face-to-face and you have, um, you know, you get to know the client. And then as time progresses, um, you start to scratch the bottom of like what the client is going through. So with with normal counselling, you would have like face to face talking. But where, where it becomes a bit more in depth is the psychodynamic, where it just stays at a level. But with the psychodynamic, you go under the surface. So you start to tap into like your client's emotions. And then you start to tap in, you know, about their history. And then you start to talk about um, what things they are afraid of, what things they feel sad about, what things they feel um, scared. And then you try to find links within um, their lifestyle to find out why they're acting in a certain way. And and you use the art making process. Um, the materials are there. So if they wanted to use clay, if they wanted to use paint or um, or paper they use the art to like express how they're feeling and sometimes when I've had a lot of clients um well young people that have come to me sometimes they find it very hard to talk but if you put paper if you put clay in front of them it's just another medium of them to kind of express themselves so I found with with, with my work which um which I hold very, very dear to me, my work, I I find it fascinating when you have a client in front of you when they're not speaking, but then as you get to know them, they they let the art dictate how they feel. So through their art making, you can get to see what is the underlying factor of the um, issue that they have.
0: That's really fascinating. So, And of course, we have, like I said, our listeners are primarily... uh, you know, either bulimic or, and I'm probably sure there's other people who are not, but that's what our target is. And so this was what intrigued me. Uh, and I would say that any age would be something that's compatible. A question I have would this art, uh, working with art, would it bring out some of the subconscious?
1: Yes, it does. Um, Because, I mean, there's two types of thought I mean we have the conscious thinking and then we have the subconscious thinking so the subconscious thinking is things that are buried right at the back of your your mind that you can't that don't necessarily like we, we we kind of black it out they you know it doesn't necessarily come to the forefront so you've got your conscious thinking and then you've got your subconscious thinking a lot of traits of thought have have you know a lot of um theorists and um um, articles that I've read they 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 kind of tend to think that the subconscious is our real way of thinking but um, yes it is the subconscious um, through the art making process that tends to come out in the work and sometimes that actually surprises the therapist and actually surprises the client because they they look back at their work and they think wow did was that really in me what, was that really a deep-seated issue that was actually in me? And then that's when the real work starts to begin. Yeah, that
0: is, That's incredible, because I was thinking too, <laughs> because uh, one of the things that I know about having struggled with bulimia for 30 years is is suppressing a lot of emotions. And there are times where you're doing it, you don't even know why you're doing it. But I know personally that there was something triggering it, and it's not the food that's really triggering it. Although we call foods trigger foods, I think they're somehow associated with whatever. I mean, it's hard to say with everybody, but I know in my case they're associated with other things that were that had nothing to do with that Oreo cookie or the, those chips. Yeah. Uh, it was something more ingrained. This is, you know, where I'm thinking this is absolutely wonderful. You're also using your hands, you're using, you know, your creativity. Yes. It just feels like there would be something so fulfilling beyond just the art, but also what you as a psychotherapist come can come out with as well and help them with as well
1: yeah it, it, exactly and I've um I I found with um, my work I mean I work with the younger generation um like when I say younger generation I, I, I mean from my ages four, as young as four um to like 17 maybe 15 16 that kind of age and um You'll be surprised um, that the, the type of things that come out in a session and, you know, um, I wish I had all day to talk about that. But, you know, obviously we don't. But I mean, I've worked with kids that have been abused. I work with domestic violence. I, I work a lot with domestic violence children and um, you they come in a certain way into your room and they they display a certain type of nature but when they leave they're so grateful for having that expression they're so grateful for having that safe space where they can just be themselves and that's what gives me hope because you know my, my mantra is it is that if you can get them while they're young you can change them you can nurture them and you can help them become well adjusted adults in society so for me my work is very important and with People who do suffer with with bulimia, art therapy is a really good way of expressing yourself because, you know, sometimes you have that association where you don't like food, where where food is an object where it's a form of a hatred kind of thing. That, you, you know, that relationship with food is, is not a really good connection. So where the art therapy comes in is that you would have a safe space where you can talk about these things and you know you can discuss, and you know even if you just want to sit in a corner, you, you know that space is completely yours. And I, I have found with a lot of my clients, um, I've had some non-verbal clients which didn't speak at all. They just came into the room and they just sat at the table, or they sat on the floor. And I've given them, you know, they, they've got materials around them, and they just went to the clay and they just started making stuff with the clay, and they were non-verbal. And after about three or four weeks, they 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 open up a little bit, and then they kind of like let you into their world. But um, it's the same with bulimia. It's, it's like having that trust, you know, opening up their world so that you can kind of see where they're coming from. But also having that level that level of professionalism where you can say, you know, what I'm here for you, and this is a safe space for you, and what we share in that room is between me and you, you know, obviously you have safeguarding issues as well, but that space that we have is very, very sacred to you and your client as a therapist, to you and your client. I just got goosebumps from that as well, because (laughs) I love,
0: I love that concept of, uh, because there are times I know, even with myself, people get nervous if I don't talk, what's wrong. (laughs) But sometimes it's, it's just a, a reflection. And I think that those moments, you know, when they're playing, when they're when they're creating with the clay and not speaking, there's probably a lot more that goes into that, I would imagine, uh, because focusing primarily on what they're doing and using their hands. And I just think it's phenomenal what you're doing. And I'm just fascinated Mm -hmm. by it. And you're absolutely right. Instead of going towards something that you're either uncomfortable with, uh, with bulimics, they can either hate food but not so much that they hate it they hate what it does to them yeah um, the fear of gaining weight and uh and or they fear that they like it too much you know it becomes like almost a friend a best friend so to speak but you're right going towards art it's safe though because it's not going yeah. to you know it's it's a much safer place to go to yeah. uh, be able to to work out emotions and such So exactly
1: Exactly and, and, and the thing is um social media doesn't help with um body image and um you know because I um I, I also run um a local youth group um I help to run like a therapeutic youth group at church and um some of the kids that come to our church, you know, um and the local youth group that I that I work alongside I also work for um a cancer foundation as well with um young people And when you get to hear their story, um, you know, um, social media doesn't help with with, um, body image. And I'll say that again, social media does not help with body image, particularly women. And um, there's starting to be a rise in like young boys um, where you have a certain picture portrayed of a woman that they have to be beautiful. They have to have the looks, the the lips, you know, the the, um, chest and, you know, that their body has to look a certain way but you know we know that some of these photos are photoshopped some, some of these photos they're taken at different angles at different lighting you know at, but like when a young person sees this they've got it in the back of their head saying you know I've got to look like that so that's where their relationship with food starts it's not a healthy relationship because you know the parent or their carer might be doing everything to provide a well balanced diet but what they're seeing from like peer pressure and what they're seeing from um, social media, you know, that, that relationship with their food is, is probably like one of the first contacts that they get. And if it's not a healthy contact, it can start them off from being young, like d- developing bad habits with food, and it can carry on to like, you know, adolescence and then e- into adulthood and then into like um, elderly. Midlife. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: right up to uh, interestingly enough you're talking about social media and and media in itself and one thing that I've noticed as well so I'm 58 years old and I notice more and more there's women in their 40s in social media getting getting you know the facelifts and yeah. and the boob jobs which sort of sorry but my sister and I were talking about that that was my last uh one of my last <laughs> podcast that I put on is how we said why do we have these you know we don't even like boobs <laughs> <But> the, and, <laughs> I, and I'm sure that you know it's sort of weird when she told me that I looked at her strange because I know it's weird right I said no it's weird that I feel the same way as you like you know yeah. I have my three children I don't need these anymore but it, it kind of like it's a it, it's a it it defines it it's almost objectifying femininity is what we talked about so it's probably what we were sort of against on that front but yeah. a lot of the short of it our age even like, in the, in the 40s and 50s, there's like what used to not be, you just aged gracefully, you know, yes, yeah. we had the big, you know, when you're in your 20s, that it, like, it's always been kind of a thing, you know, even with Marilyn Monroe, how are you going to look great in your 20s? Yeah. But you age gracefully. Now, you know, you almost have to start getting the numbers of a uh, plastic surgeon when you're in your 30s, knowing that, you know, old, I've only got 10 more years before I have to start getting the wrinkles off my face and the body shape too and everything. And yeah it's it's really there for midlife and in midlife is hard too uh because like i said it's like almost like um an adult puberty and and i brought this up again and i've brought it up quite often because your body's changing you know there's yes. there's menopause you're i'm sorry but your breasts are going to be growing larger for the most part that's what happens and you're yes. going to have some sagging and you're going to be losing your children will be moving out and so there's it it's like and so your life change is it's pretty well almost as large as an adolescent going from childhood to, to, to a teenager. Now you're going from an adult to, sorry, but yeah. you're getting older. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I think um, the thing that people really have to um, take on board is, is that every stage of your life, you have to take it with with grace. And I think um, every stage of your life, you, you have to realize, OK, um, I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm I'm not in my 20s. You know, um, I could be in my thirties. You know, um, possibly going into my forties. But you know, there's there has to be some kind of acceptance because you know um, the world doesn't give you that acceptance. The world is very very harsh. The world is very very cruel. It's also a beautiful place, and it's also you know there's lots of opportunity. But you know, forty um, percent is like not going to give you that positive feedback. So you've got to constantly affirm yourself as a woman and you know as a man as well you've got to affirm yourself that you know what when I look in the mirror you know my boobs are okay you know my um the way how my body looks my skin type is like you know my my skin type is um is okay you know so um at the end of the day it's that positive affirmation of like you know affirming to yourself that you know I am all that I can be. And I have having healthy relationships with food, having healthy relationships, you know, with your peers. And I think for me, when I was going through my grief, I thank God that I had a very, very strong network of family around me. And I think with bulimia sufferers, sufferers, um, they need that connection around them. They need that support system around them. Because if they don't, then that's where the cracks can come in. And sadly. You know, it it happens in young people. It happens in you know midlife crisis, and it happens beyond. If we don't have that support network around us, it's very very hard for us to crawl back. It's very very hard, and that's where you see a lot of broken people that come to therapy, you know, and a lot of people that start to seek help in that area. But um, it's a fascinating subject, and I think it's one that's close to both of our hearts. You know. The body image and you know um, trying to have good healthy role models I think that's so important in today's society so important yeah I was actually
0: reading something I don't think I'm going to get it exactly right but um, you know it's uh, be grateful for aging or to some it's um, a privilege they'll never have So uh, I just love that. And it's true. And I always look at every wrinkle on my face is another experience of life that I've gone through. And those little stretch marks on my stomach, I had three beautiful children, and it's they're there to remind me of that part of my life. So uh, it's always easy, but I love the thought that you were saying the opportunity is important. If you see an opportunity, uh, you know, like, you know, Sandhya has an opportunity here for You know, listeners that has it's an alternative that you could try, but it's to take the opportunity to grasp it. And definitely uh, what I also like about it is no judgment. And that's really, really key and uh, support no judgment, caring are three very big keys and this your environment sounds like it it offers all of that which is wonderful and I take it you have to sort of pivot because you like the one on one that you are doing online as well with your work now. Yeah I I,
1: I have um well because we're in a global pandemic I, I think it's um it's really strange because it it shifted a lot of things and it shifted my way of thinking as well. Um because whereas I would do face-to-face um, consultation, you know you you get to meet the person you get to have a feel with the person and there's some kind of rapport sometimes you don't get that on remote like um we're on remote now so you know we don't know each other but yet you know there is a connection but I think when you're face to face with somebody you know you get a deeper understanding and you get a deeper connection but um it has worked and um technology has it that sometimes um zoom might cut out or um internet might cut out and you know um we don't have a good connection and I think that that can sometimes be a reflection within the therapy like when a client doesn't want to speak then you know there's no connection there and then you get that sudden pause and then you know because you don't want to um provoke something in bringing something out in that client you you kind of like remain silent and, and then just give them the opportunity to kind of say what they need to say and to express what they need to feel um, but when you're face-to-face in a room it's a completely different environment um, because you can kind of feel how they are and kind of work with that but um it's so a very very interesting dynamic very interesting at the moment
0: So I would I would imagine it would be more it would be more of a challenge to do it on Zoom and sit there and be working on something with you. Uh, What and I guess before we go and you'll be able to tell us how people can contact you. uh, how long are your sessions when they're going in there is it a group session that you do is it and if you do the one-on-ones what's sort of timing because I mean that's interesting too right like no I'm not done yeah. my art yet I don't <laughs> want to go like, I'm sorry it's not to be but seriously how long how does that work
1: um okay so I would um normally the sessions last between 45 to 50 minutes and um, that is with group sessions and that is with one-to-one. Um, group sessions could be anywhere from like maybe three to six people. And um, obviously the sessions are completely confidential. So um, I would liaise with like, if I was working in the school, because at the moment I'm I'm working in the school environment as an art psychotherapist. So I would liaise with like the safeguarding officer and the multidisciplinary team. But if I'm doing it, um, my own private practice, then I have a supervisor that I would um, connect with as well. Um, but the actual sessions itself, they're confidential. They're 45 minutes to 50 minutes long. And um, that space is a safe space. So we have boundaries where when a client comes in to meet and, and we talk, we, we um, I, I set the room boundaries um, in a sense of like, you know, this is a safe space for them to talk. Um, they, they they can use any of the art materials. Um, what they can't do is um, hurt themselves, or they can't hurt me. So we have to set up that kind of safeguarding risk assessment, and also it's just to let them know that whatever is said here in the room in in the therapy session, it stays between me and that person. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well uh, I really appreciate your time. This is wonderful. I've learned a lot. And would you please let our listeners have let our listeners know how they get a get a hold of you, please?
1: Okay, well, I have just started a YouTube channel. It's called um, Art Your Narration. So that's A-R-T-U-R narration. Beautiful. So it, it's just started. Um, so give me a couple of weeks to um, put some content on there. Um, but I'm very excited because um, I love what I do. And um, one thing that I just want to leave your listeners is that, you know, whatever you're going through, you know, please talk to somebody. Please reach out. Don't be there by yourself, because um, this is a really strange time that we're living in and mental health is on a rise. And I just urge you, you know, whatever is sexuality, LGBTQ, LGBTQ. Plus, you know, whatever race you are, black, white, Hispanic, you know, whatever race you are, reach out, reach out to somebody that understands you and don't be isolated by yourself. Don't be an island by yourself. Reach out to somebody and just talk about how you feel, express how you feel, because that is very, very important for your mental health and also for your spiritual health as well. It's very important to do that.
0: It's beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing that. So please look up the YouTube. And I just wanted to end this with saying thank you, listeners. And don't forget, if you have a topic that you would like to have covered, please get a hold of me at bulimia at gmail.com. And uh, keep an eye out for my book, which is How to Have Your Cake and Not Eat It All Too. That is on Amazon. And it is a guide to adult bulimia recovery. So thank you so much for being here. And again, Sandhya, thank you so much for your time. Thank you
1: so much for having me. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye.